0: Good evening and welcome back to our pastor's class. We're delighted to have you join us again for this broadcast. As we continue now what's been a couple month series through the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, some of the earliest letters the Apostle Paul ever wrote. Now today we're going to find ourselves near the end of the second epistle. We're going to be in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 13. In fact, tonight... And next week, we'll represent the conclusion of our study through these two letters. Now, as you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, just a couple reminders. First off, you ought to know that we do provide a PDF handout that actually has the outline of this lesson and every other lesson. Uh, You can find that linked in the comments of this broadcast. Or you can just go on our website and it's right there with the pastor's class material. Grab that free PDF handout. And then you've probably heard us uh, commend this resource to you many times, but there is a published commentary. It's a real small volume on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians by Mark Howell. It's entitled the Christ-Centered Exposition Series on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We commend that commentary to you. In fact, that commentary has really led and informed A lot of our study as we've gone through these letters. So pick that up. It would be a terrific resource for you to have on your shelf as you study God's Word on your own. So tonight, I invite you to turn with me to verse 13. And what I'd like to do is I want to read for you beginning in verse 13, and I want to move all the way down to chapter 3, verse 5. So we're going to take those two sections and put them together. And as we do, I want you to bear in mind one thing. The Apostle Paul is writing, he's finishing this letter. To these believers at the Church of Thessalonica and he has a certain tone as he concludes these letters. He has a tone of encouragement for he recognizes that these believers are weary. These are men and women who are starting to wonder, will their faith sustain? Will they be able to stand firm on the final day of judgment? Will their faith maintain. They're starting to wonder, are they going to be the victims of this great day of the Lord, this judgment that Paul has spoken of in just the previous few verses in this very letter. And so I want you to recognize that in the background as we read beginning in verse 13. Paul writes, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And so now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and may God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and may he establish them in every good work and word. And so finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you're doing and will do the things that we command. So may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, now I ask that you would come, and over just the next few moments, that you would minister your word to your people in a way I simply cannot So Holy Spirit of God, take this word and apply it to the hearts of your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Do you ever wonder if your faith may fail? Do you ever find yourself wondering if you are going to make it to the end? You see, classmates from high school and college wander from the Lord. Your own precious children who were reared in the church under your parenting care have now turned their backs. Fellow classmates in Sunday school from years gone by are no longer walking with the Lord. There's even notable examples of well-known ministers of the gospel, so-called anyway, who have since turned their back on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it can't help but make you wonder, am I next? Is my faith going to fail, or am I going to stay strong? If that's you, I want you to consider a story, a true story, of a well-known Australian pianist, a musician who was assisting in leading evangelistic crusades in the early 20th century. Uh, In particular, he often accompanied R. A. Torrey, a well-known evangelist of his time. And this man by the name of Robert Harkness, at one particular crusade in Canada, he encountered a young man who came up to him after the crusade was over. And this young man was distraught He was in despair for he was wondering, am I going to be next? Am I going to be able to maintain my faith? This young man saw that so many of his friends and colleagues were not walking with the Lord anymore like they once apparently had. And he was wondering if he was next. And this musician, this minister, Robert Harkness, he was overcome with pastoral concern for this young man. And so after the crusade was over, he decided, I've got to do something to encourage men like this boy who was wondering if his faith would fail. And so he did what any musician probably would do, and he decided to connect with another hymn writer and write a song. This hymn writer was by the name of Ada Habershon. She was from London, and together they wrote a hymn that has abided for the last hundred years or so. And that hymn, you and I know well, in fact, we've even sung it at Hickory Grove, called, He Will Hold Me Fast. The lyrics have been updated by a man named Matt Merker, who actually is based out of Washington, D.C. to this day. But this is a song whose words have encouraged me time over time, time without end. This song has been of encouragement to me. When I fear my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will. Will hold me fast. And then the song continues into this refrain. He will hold me fast. Oh, he will hold me fast. And I wonder, do you believe that? Or do you find yourself, as so many do, looking within for your assurance of salvation? Do you find yourself resting in your own goodness And then when you start to recognize that you're not half as good as you'd like to fancy yourself to be, your faith starts to crumble, your assurance starts to get weak, and you start to wonder, am I going to drift with everybody else? I wonder today, are you concerned about whether or not you're going to persevere to the end? The Apostle Paul was speaking to a crowd just like you, and just like all too often me. Men and women who wondered, would they make it to the end? Would they be able to sustain the attacks of the culture? Would they be able to stand firm in the midst of a pagan culture of Thessalonica? And all the more, we are finding ourselves in similar situations. Will your faith maintain, will it stand firm when it is no longer neutral in your workplace? Will your faith maintain when the person you trusted more than anybody else in your Sunday school class falls away? Will your faith stay strong if your marriage falls apart because your spouse is not the person you thought they were and is not following the Lord as you once thought? Will you stay? And what I want to do today is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, I want you to see Three simple ways the Lord Jesus Christ will hold you fast. Indeed, I want the title of that song to be the theme of this message, for I see it as the theme of this text. Brothers and sisters, take it to the bank. He will hold you fast. And I want you to see three simple yet profound ways. He does this. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to mark this down. We're going to see this at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 13. Number one, just remember, he saved you. He did. Look with me, if you will, at verse 13. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm thanking the Lord Jesus Christ for you, church at Thessalonica. Why? Why? Does he say next because of all the wonderful things you've done, all the terrific ways you've been an encouragement to me? He could have, but notice what he says. He says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you. And then he starts to say, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to this, he called you. In other words, the Apostle Paul is making very clear, brothers and sisters, we thank the Lord because the Lord Jesus Christ did for you what you could never do for yourself. He saved you. And he drives these nails. In fact, I see several nails that he just drives in to remind us, you did not save yourself. You do not have to do anything to save yourself. This was uniquely and exclusively a work of God himself. This is God doing for you what you could not and will never do for yourself. And see the weight of the wonder of this truth that God saved you. The first thing he says is you are beloved by the Lord. In other words, just remember he loved you before you loved him. We love because he first loved us. John says elsewhere. I want you to see that the Lord Jesus does not love you because you're lovable. You are not, as the Apostle Paul says, beloved by the Lord because of all the ways you love Him. He does not love you because of the way you've cleaned yourself up. Right now, in your own living room, as you are watching this tonight, He does not love you for anything you have done. You are beloved by the Lord because what does the Apostle Paul say next? Because God chose you. Now that is a weighty and oftentimes unnecessarily controversial thought. But I want you to see He doesn't just love you, now see the weight that He chose you. The Bible routinely uses this language of choosing, wherein the almighty sovereign God of the universe, He sovereignly chooses His people. Now, we see this as early as the people of Israel, where he comes and he chooses out of all the nations that have turned their back on him, a people for himself. He sovereignly elects, the Bible says, the people of Israel. And then you see this language be carried through Through the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses this language. Jesus himself uses this language. Peter uses this language. You see it all throughout the Bible. John uses this language. And you're going to see this strange concept that God in his infinite wisdom and sovereign otherness outside of time and space, it says he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. When God comes and saves a man, it says he saves a man based off his unconditional loving choice. We see it right here. You can't get around it. God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. He chose us. He called us out of darkness into wonderful light. And so don't let your mind go too far and start wondering about choosing versus not choosing and how all that works. I want you to just simply rest in the fact that if you right now are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have repented and believed, if you are clinging to faith in Christ today, take heart, dear brother and sister. He knew you. Before the foundation of the world. He has called you out of darkness into wonderful light. And in the mystery of his divine providential will. The scripture makes clear. In many many places you can't get around this word. He chose you. He has called you. And brothers and sisters take heart. The one who chose you is the one who's going to keep you. And we're going to see just how he does that as we continue through this text. He loved us. He chose us. I want you to see another layer. He sanctifies us. He sanctifies you. He doesn't just save you and then wipe His hands clean and let you do what you want to do. The Bible says next, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. In other words, when God saves you, He changes you. That word sanctifies means set apart. From the beginning of time, God ordained that he would take you, dear brother or sister, and set you apart from the world. He would make you into the image of his son. He would change you from the inside out. This is the word sanctification. In fact, Paul told us in his previous letter to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And so right now, if you're sitting at home feeling stagnant, feeling spiritually just bleh, I want you to see that that is not the will of God for you. He has ordained that you will be slowly but surely transformed into the image of His Son. And if you have seen no evidence of change, if you're watching tonight and you just feel like you have been stagnant at best and backsliding is probably the better descriptor, The Word of God does not offer you assurance. In fact, the Word offers you a word of warning, that you must heed this warning, that you must recognize, if any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. He is calling you right now to not harden your hearts. He is calling you to turn from your sin, to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ, and watch the Lord Jesus change you from the inside out. Brothers and sisters, he loves you. He chose you. He sanctifies you. Take heart again. He calls you, verse 14 says. Look at verse 14. He says, to this he called you through our gospel. In other words, he's saying the Lord's call on our life is this irresistible sense of him working within you. Similar to, you know, for example, how a man might try to woo a girl. He is trying to date this girl. He wants her to love him. And what does he do? He does things. He cares. He shows his true heart. He loves. He sacrifices for. He demonstrates all these ways to love her And in so doing, he woos her heart. He starts to draw her in. It is out of the abundance of his loving compassion and care for this individual that he calls this person to himself. And this is, in a very limited way, an analogy of how the Lord Jesus Christ calls us. He calls us, of course, through the proclamation of the gospel, but he is calling your heart, which explains why you heard the gospel so many times before you actually believed it. It might have been interesting. It might have been perplexing. It might have even been a curiosity to you. But there came a point where it's as if the scales fell from your eyes and you at last responded to this great clarion call and you saw Christ for who he was and now you see him as glorious and wonderful. Because at last he called you in such a way that you and finally in truth came. This is what he has called us to. Now, I want you to see what his ultimate calling is for. He doesn't just call you to be saved and to just kind of enjoy, you know, you've heard it before, fire insurance, this side of eternity. He has called us to glory. Because look what it says in verse 14, the end of it. He says, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Obtain the glory Of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, He has destined for you and for me wonderful, unspeakable, unmatched glory. The Bible uh, refers to this as eternal glory in heaven. The theological word is glorification. And bottom line, it means this. You and I were made for paradise. We were made for utter and perfect communion with God. It was all broken in the Garden of Eden, but that day is coming where we will be reunited with Him in glory and we will at last obtain in full what we have tasted in part. And so take heart, dear brothers and sisters. If you are fearing that your faith may fail, take it to the bank. He saved you. And he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. For he loved you, he has chosen you, he sanctifies you, he calls you, and thanks be to God, he will one day glorify you. That's number one. He saved you. But I want you to see a second nail that we need to nail into the, uh, our hearts and recognize this great, wonderful, glorious truth. Number two, take heart. He didn't just save you. He sustains you. For look with me, if you will, at verse 15. He says, so then, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, how does the Lord sustain us? Well, we see in this verse right here that one two significant ways he sustains us is first off, he sustains us through his word. He calls these men and women in light of this wonderful reality of God saving them. He says, stand firm. Now, how do you stand firm? He says, do it by depending 100% completely on my word. He says, hold fast to traditions. Now, when he says spoken by us or by our letter... He was an apostle of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I'm not telling you to hold fast to my letter or to my words. Don't hold fast to our pastor's letter or our pastor's word. We are but men. We are mere mortal shepherds. We are not inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. But Paul was, the apostles were, and God spoke through these men to give us this book we have. And so when Paul says, hold fast to what I've written and what I've said, he is saying, hold firm to the Bible. So today I just want to plead with you. If you feel spiritually stagnant, spiritually dry, if you are just wondering where the Lord is, I, I want to ask a candid question to you. To what extent are you wrestling with the Bible? Can you, in, with integrity, say you're in it daily? Can you, with integrity, say you are seeking, no matter how hard it may be, to hide it in your heart? Can you say that to the best of your ability, you are saturating yourself with God's Word. I plead that you give yourself to this effort. For when a man or when a woman gives themselves to the Word, watch it. It's like going to the gym. You may not feel an immediate change overnight, but over time there is going to be an effective change within you. It will change change you. The Lord sustains us by his word. I have to fight every morning. I'm one of your pastors and I have to fight every morning to get up and get in the Bible. But ask my wife without fail, my morning begins with a cup of coffee and at my desk at home with the Bible open before me. There are days that it is sweet and wonderful and glorious. And there are other mornings where I am just trying to stay awake. Nevertheless, I have recognized that there is more valuable thing I do in my day. For on those days where I fail to saturate my mind and heart with God's word, I promise you this, my faith begins to fail. I promise you this, my heart begins to wander. I confess this to you, my mind begins to fall victim to those fleshly tendencies Every one of us has. And so I must fight this fight of faith daily. Stand firm, dear brother or sister, by giving yourself to God's word and watch him sustain you by it. Moreover, we see that he doesn't just sustain us by his word. He also sustains us by his grace. Look with me, if you will, at verses 16 and 17. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and may God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, after telling us to stand firm in verse 16, he just breaks out in this prayer and he says, now may God do this. In other words, the Apostle Paul understands our hearts. He understands that you may hear Kyler say, hey, stand firm by being in the Bible. And deep down you're thinking, you know, I've tried that. I've tried to get through this, but it becomes drudgery. And this is why the Apostle Paul, his very next breath, what does he do after he tells us to stand firm in the Bible? He breaks out into prayer. And he says, Lord, we need your grace to make this happen. Lord Jesus, come and do in the these cold, dark hearts of we believers what we cannot do within ourselves. Lord, we need your grace to get in the Word daily. We need your grace to stay strong in our faith. And so I'm imploring you to remember that the Lord sustains you not just in the Bible. He sustains you in prayer by His grace. And so give yourself not just to the Word. Give yourself to prayer and pray for your own soul. You know, when I pray every morning, do you know who I pray for first? Myself. And not because, Lord forbid, I'm an egomaniac. I pray for myself because I know just how much need I have. I know how desperate I feel every day, how hypocritical I can feel every moment of the day. I know how sinful my heart really is. And so I begin my mornings pleading that the Lord will do a work on my heart. Pray and ask the Lord Jesus to do this for you and watch him change you and sustain you. That's number two, the Lord doesn't just save us. Praise be to God. He sustains us. But let's conclude our evening tonight by looking at just the last five verses. We see these at the beginning of chapter 3. For in these last five verses we're going to look at tonight, I want you to see one third and final way the Lord holds you and me fast. Number three, thanks be to the Lord, He secures you. He secures us. For look with me, if you will, at verse 1. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us. Now, why does he change that? Why does he say, pray for me? I mean, this is Paul, after all. Paul had just prayed for these believers. He said, be strong, be encouraged. The Lord saved you. Look at all the wonderful ways he saved you. Take heart, he sustains you. And then Paul even prays for them and says, Lord, do what they cannot do, sustain them. But then notice what he does in chapter three, verse one. He turns the tables, and now he says, no, 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 now I need you to pray for me. Brothers, pray for us. And the Apostle Paul does this because he knows he too is in utter and complete need of God's saving, sustaining, securing grace. The Apostle Paul knows if it weren't for grace, he is nothing. He knows that he needs prayer. And so I want you to see three simple ways The Lord secures us. Number one, look with me, if you will, at verse one and two. The Lord protects us, for he says this. Pray for us that the word would speed ahead, be honored, and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, I need you to pray on our behalf that the Lord will make our ministry effective and that the Lord will protect our ministry from the evil one. In short, the Apostle Paul is saying, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he is the one who protects us. It's not up to you. Your strength of faith is not dependent on how well you leverage the armor of God. The people who make it to eternity are not the strongest. This isn't some sort of Darwinian fight to the end. The Lord does call us to contend for the faith. He does call us to persevere. But thanks be to him, it is not a battle for the strong. It is not a battle for the swift. This is not a victory to those of us who are the most gregarious amongst us. In fact, counterintuitively, it is for the weakest amongst us. The Lord, when he calls us to contend for the faith, to persevere to the end, in short, he is calling us to depend on he who alone can protect us from the evil one. That's why I pray all the time, protect my heart, protect my wife, protect my family from the evil one who wants to sow seeds of doubt and discord. Oh, protect our church, Lord, from the evil one who would love to sow disunity. Protect our nation from the evil one, oh God, who would love to sow seeds of falsehood in this people. Oh God, protect us from the evil one and the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the one who can deliver us from wicked and evil men. He protects us. Moreover, I want you to see he preserves us. He is the one who actually keeps us in the faith till the end. I want you to see this. There are many people who make professions of faith, but back away from it at some point in their life. What do you make of that? And what do you do on that final day when I stand before the Lord and you stand before the Lord and by God's grace we spend eternity with Him? What do we say on that final day? Do we say, Lord, thank you for saving me, but be encouraged that I stayed strong. Be encouraged that I did not fall for those wicked schemes. Lord, you should be grateful that I stood firm, that I passed the test, Lord, you should be thankful that I had enough stamina to finish the race. Lord, look at me. I made it. The Apostle Paul recognizes that there is not going to be one ounce of self-congratulation on that final day. For look with me, if you will, at verse 3. What does he say? The Lord will establish you and He will guard you against the evil one. In other words, the Apostle Paul recognizes that when that day comes for us to stand before this great judge of the universe, we will have nothing to commend Him. We will not say, Lord, we made it, we did it. On that day, we will fall on our faces, we will cast our crowns at His feet, and we will say, O oh, Jesus Christ, it is but by Your grace, both in saving us and sustaining us to the end, that we are secured salvation. In other words, from top to bottom, start to finish, all around, all glory will be his. This is why I love the last verses of the book of Jude. It's his great doxology at the end, a benediction of sorts, where he says, Now unto Jesus, who is able to keep us from stumbling, and to make us stand in his presence with great joy. In other words, it is not my strength of faith that saves me in the end. It is going to be the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who sustained me, who indeed preserved me to the end. And so just take heart that it is the Lord who protects you. It is the Lord who preserves you. And let's just look at one final benefit we receive from the Lord. And we're going to see this in the last two verses of of this text. Chapter 3, beginning in verses 4, and then we'll go through verse 5. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. So may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Why is Paul so confident? Why is he so confident that they will do and are doing the things he commanded? Because the Apostle Paul recognizes that number three, it is the Lord who empowers us. It is the Lord who enables us to do that which He has called us to. He calls us to do His will and He empowers us to fulfill His will. In other words, we are from start to finish one case of grace. God's grace is working through every fiber of our being as believers, and He empowers us to obey Him and to fulfill His calling in our lives. And so, I think this should just make all of us take a step back and recognize as we looked at just these few verses in 2 Thessalonians, if today you're wondering if your faith will fail, if today you feel spiritually stagnant, dry, cold, aloof, You just, there's not a sweet intimacy with the Lord. May I encourage you to do just a few things as we close and I pray for you tonight. The first thing I want to commend to you is just to consider anew with me what the Lord has done for you. Write down, if you haven't already, just jot it down and go meditate on it tonight and this week, the glory of the fact that the Lord has saved you. He loves you. He chose you. He sanctified you. Oh, He called you and will glorify you. Glory in that fact. I want you to just mark down and take heart in the fact that the Lord doesn't just save you. He sustains you. He is the one sustaining you right now. And thank Him for His Word. Thank Him for His grace to come before Him in prayer. And give yourself to this Word and give yourself to prayer. And then just fall on your face and thank Him for securing you till the end that He is the one that is protecting you, preserving you and empowering you to finish your calling, to finish this race, this side of eternity. I wanna commend to you just to reflect and chew on, the biblical word is meditate on these wonderful realities. And then I wanna encourage you once I pray and this broadcast ends, I wanna encourage you to go over to YouTube. Just type in YouTube and go search the song He will hold me fast. Keith and Kristen Getty have a terrific uh, uh, edition of it. I would encourage you to go listen to it as an example. And just prayerfully meditate, worship alongside, sing those lyrics and praise our Lord Jesus Christ who alone will hold us fast until the end. Would you join me as we pray to that end? Our Father in heaven, now I ask that you would come and that you would minister this word in a way I simply was unable to. Lord, forgive me for all the ways that I am not clear. Forgive me for all the ways that I am a hypocrite. Lord, forgive me for all the ways that I don't even trust that you are holding me. And so I need you to minister this word to my heart as I need you to minister it to these brothers and sisters gathered here tonight. And would you remind us anew by the power of your Holy Spirit that it is you alone who saved us, it is you alone who sustained us, and it is you alone who will secure us to the end. And so may we glory in that truth till that day comes when we at last see you face to face and we praise you forevermore. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.